Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hello and welcome to you all. This is the Andrew Lawton Show on True North, Canada's most irreverent talk show. We're just a few days away from Christmas, not that far from the end of the year. So it seems like a good opportunity to take stock of how the last year has been and perhaps a bit of a forward-looking approach on the year ahead. In this particular episode, we're going to do that with none other than Conservative leader Pierre Polyev. This is his first full year as leader of His Majesty's loyal opposition. He was elected leader in September of last year, so he had a few months of runway heading into 2023. And it's obviously been a very busy year. A lot of the issues we've covered on this program, things like inflation, the housing crisis, obviously the war in Israel, are very much top of mind for federal politicians. So it's my great pleasure to welcome back to the program Pierre Polyev, leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. And good to speak to you again, Pierre. Thank good you. Good to be back. Thank you for having me. And Merry Christmas. Thank you. And, and to yourself as well. So... This is, as I mentioned, your, your first full year in this role. The, the issues that you've spoken about, about the brokenness of Canada, about people struggling, are these things that you look back on the last year and, and see as being the same, worse, better? Worse. So I was, I was in this very same room earlier today, and we had a round table with people uh, living in Brampton. I had a grocer tell me that the crime has gotten so bad and so brazen that he has criminals who walk into his grocery store, they fill up their bags with groceries and just walk out. Hey. They don't sn slip the food into their pocket and slide out the door. They, they don't feel like they have to anymore. Uh, two of the people at the table said they've had multiple of their personal vehicles stolen. Uh, one group actually followed the air tag in their car to the... Um, to the train yard where it had been loaded onto a, a box. And they, when they got there, they said, we know that our vehicle is in this shipping container. And CPSA showed up and said, that's not the issue. The issue is you're at this train yard. You're not supposed to be. We're going to give you a fine. They just mm -hmm. had their car stolen. Uh, but that's just, a, those are just a couple of anecdotes that, that underlie them. The, the facts, violent crimes up 40%, um, shootings up a hundred percent. Um, while the prime minister bans hunting rifles and sports shooters. Um, and then on the economic side, it's even worse. Housing costs have doubled. Last week, uh, the Bank of Canada said that after eight years of Trudeau, we have the worst housing affordability in 41 years. Uh, we've had the worst, second worst deterioration of housing uh, in uh, the entire OECD. It takes 25 years in Toronto to save for a down payment. We used to pay off a, a house in that time. Uh, before Trudeau. And of course, now his next big project is to quadruple the carbon tax. Uh, so that that is the misery that he's putting people through. And in order to clamp down and avoid anybody standing up to him, he's passing censorship laws. He's cracking down on political opponents. And of course, he's taking over the media so that he won't have any contrary voices in the press. You've covered a lot of ground there, but yeah. let's start with the carbon tax. Your party yeah. staged uh, a little while ago, a 30 hour long filibuster. And I mean, ultimately, it didn't amount to all that much. The carbon tax is still going ahead. But if you're a Canadian who's having to withstand this and, and you see this rather fruitless display, and that's not to go away from the fact that you brought attention to it, where is that relief going to come? Because a lot of people can't hold out for another year. A lot of people can't hold out for another few months if they're really struggling. 
the only relief that people will get is when I become prime minister, because I will axe the tax and that will lower the cost of heat, gas and groceries. Uh, it will reduce the cost for our farmers. You know, I, I was asking Trudeau the other day about a farmer in my riding who's spending a hundred grand a year on carbon tax. And this is now he plans to quadruple the tax. So it'd be 400 grand. Um, and that's, you don't think that's appearing on your grocery bill? Of course it is. The farmer has to pass it along. So a Polyev government will axe the tax. It'll be one of the first things I do when I form government. And the next election will be the carbon tax election. So take your pick, folks. Either you quadruple the tax with Trudeau or you axe the tax with me. When you talk about housing, the, the numbers speak for themselves here. We've got a, a country that is building 210 to 230,000 houses a year. We have seen some recent numbers that suggest there's a, a slowdown yeah. taking place as recently as this morning. You also then juxtapose that with immigration, and yeah. we have 500,000 permanent residents coming in a year over the next three years, uh, plus on top of that, temporary foreign workers, international students. Do you accept that immigration is inflaming the housing crisis? Well, it's in very simple math. If you have more families than uh, coming, then you have houses for them. It's going to inflate housing prices. It's uh, no question about it. Uh, that's not, I don't even think, the Liberals are now seeming to acknowledge that mm -hmm. themselves. Um, so my common sense plan is to link immigration numbers to the to home building numbers. And uh, that is how you're going to restore housing affordability. Um, look, we built fewer homes in last year than we built in 1972. 50 years, we're building less homes. In 72, we had a population of 22 million people. Now we have a population of 39 million. Uh, we have to build something in the neighborhood of 450 to 500,000 homes a year uh, just to, to maintain the current mm -hmm. level of affordability at today's immigration rates. Uh, we're building less than half of that. We should actually be able to build 450,000 homes. If you think about it, we, we built half that uh, amount uh, back in 50 years ago when our population was half, like just by on a per capita basis, we have the land labor and the lumber to do it. But we have to get the massive bureaucracy out of the way to speed up permits and uh, prove more building. That's what I'm going to do by requiring cities that permit 15% more housing per year as a condition of getting federal funding, selling off thousands of acres of federal land and 6,000 federal buildings, uh, and um, requiring transit stations be pre-permitted for high-density apartments all around them. To name a few of my common sense plans, uh, we're going to get the bureaucrats out of the way and get the builders to work. On immigration, it isn't just housing that needs to be taken into consideration. Yeah. It's also jobs, social services, ju just geography here. So knowing what you know about the country, do you think those targets from the Liberal government are too high, that 500,000 per year target? Well, it's not 500. It's, as you know, it's 1.2 million now. Um, the answer is that we have to bring the numbers in line with the number of houses that are built, the number of the, 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 the growth in immigration should not exceed the amount of housing stock we add, the number of doctors we add, and the, the available jobs. But if you were prime minister now, what would that number be? What would your projection be? I don't have a target for this year, but what I would say is my, when I launch my, my platform, it will be, it will explicitly link the, the number, uh, the, the population growth to the growth in the housing stock, to the growth in the number of doctors and nurses, and to the availability of jobs. So it and could we, be lower. It will be mathematically driven not by arbitrary targets to generate uh, 
virtue signaling headlines as we have right now. It will be mathematically driven by the growth in the housing stock, the growth in the supply of doctors and nurses to, to treat people, and the availability of jobs. But if I were to say to you just the number, a term well, that you yourself have yeah. used in, in in exchanges of this, the, the, you I can't, can't give one. Well, of course I can't because the I'll be for, forming government in, at this state rate in 2025, and we'll have to set the numbers based on the conditions in that year. When you look at population growth in Canada, we have a birth rate, which is I think around 1.40 right now. Do you think that is a problem or do you think that's just the fact and a government has to adapt to that? It is a problem uh, that is a symptom of the housing crisis. It's it's very simple. It, it, you know, if you can't afford a house until you're 42 years old, mm -hmm. well, uh, let's be blunt, a, a woman's biological clock is almost run out by that time. Uh, and so even f couples that want kids say, where do we put them? You know, we're not going to have kids in our parents' basements. We can't raise them in a 400 square foot uh, rental apartment. So where are we going to put the kids that we want to have? And they right now say there's nowhere to put them because there's no home to live in. So when we fix the housing crisis, we'll give people the freedom to make their own decisions about children uh, on their time frame. Immigration Minister Mark Miller this week proposed a path to amnesty for people who are in the country illegally. Would that be something you would entertain as Prime Minister? I support lawful immigration. We have to, people have to come in the right way. Uh, we can't uh, have a systematic uh, illegal immigration as the Liberals presided over with the Roxham Road that they persisted for many, many years um, and other forms of illegal entry they crazy, causes chaos in the system, and it it also creates resentment among the people who actually follow the rules. So when I'm prime minister, we'll restore lawful immigration and we'll make sure there are no perverse incentives for people to the break the law to get in. Which, to don't apple yeah. me for misrepresenting what you're saying, but are you saying no amnesty? Well, I don't. I, I think what he's saying is he wants a path to permanency mm -hmm. for. I, I think. Permanency should be given to people who come here lawfully, not to people who got in, um, who 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 d deliberately broke the rules to be in the country. To go to inflation, which has become an issue, well, not become an issue. You were talking about it before anyone was, and I, I think it probably frustrated you a great deal that that no yeah. one was heeding that call. There are Canadians who are struggling, and I know you've heard from them. You, you've spoken to them, and, and people who, to use your phrase, are, are hanging on by a thread. How much does it weigh on you that so many people are just desperate for a fix? You can't save everyone, and that's not your job to save every individual person. But how do you grapple with that challenge, hearing these stories and those photo lines you do? Oh, it's it's incredible. And uh, it, the stories that I hear, they get worse and worse every day. Um, and uh, whether it's people who are now living in their cars or they're or, or moving into to tent encampments, uh, or if it's people who are literally just, you know, during the leadership race, I had people I would call, because when I was in the long drives, I'd call potential Brilliant. members, and they would say, I join, but I don't have $15. And then they clarified they meant by that. They weren't speaking figuratively. Like some of them would say, I don't own $15. Like I, I have $35 of gas in my tank, and I have six dollars and 23 cents in my bank account and i don't know where my next meal is coming from inflation always does this because it's a huge wealth transfer from the working poor to the super rich 
the working poor have their wages and their very little limited savings eaten up by inflation. And the super rich, of course, get richer because their assets inflate. And uh, so even though the, the, the national balance sheet doesn't show it, uh, there's people who are just getting clobbered. And that's why we have to bring back hard money, sound money, uh, a solid financial, a solid monetary approach that seeks to slow stable prices rather than money printing for political spending. How quickly can that ship be turned around, though? I mean, you've seen the deficit figures alone. Yeah. I mean, this is not something I could you even balance a budget in a four year mandate? That's a good question. I I, can't, I want to see the finances. You know, the challenge, I'm not trying to be ev evasive, but no. let me just give you an example of my problem in projecting that now. In the last year alone, like Trudeau had us balancing the budget mm -hmm. in 2028, but in the last year alone, he's added so much brand new spending that mm -hmm. he's now admitted on his current track, we will never balance the budget. And he's added $100 billion to the fiscal framework over the last year. So he's got two more years to go. When I get to an election, presumably in fall 2025, I don't know how big the mess will be, and therefore I can't promise today how long it will be for me to clean it up. But what I can tell you is that we'll be cutting waste by shutting down the infrastructure bank, the $54 million Arrive Can app, the green slush funds, defunding the CBC, uh, and we'll bring in a dollar-for-dollar dollar law, common sense law requiring my ministers to find a dollar of savings for every new dollar of spending. Uh, that combined with a pro-growth, pro-resource development pro policy that will generate ta organic tax revenues without mm -hmm. tax increases will help us balance the budget. The time frame, you'll have to wait to my platform to see it. What is it that you think is going to be the biggest challenge in building the, the conservative base? Because I think in your leadership, we saw you bring in people that were not politically engaged previously, right. were not conservatives previously. A lot of the things you talk about when you discuss wealth transfer and inequality, these are, are talking points that wouldn't have been out of place from Jack Layton back right. in the day. But what is that hurdle going to be for you in, in getting people who are not aligning themselves with the word conservative or the conservative party, but you think will go along with your vision? I think it's connecting with people who are small C conservatives and turning them into big C conservatives. As Jason Kenney used to say this all the time. So, you know, I was meeting with a group from the, the Tamil community today and they basically said, we're conservative on everything, <laughs> family values. They all run small businesses. They want law and order in their community. Uh, and they're heavily patriotic, um, but the party hadn't, hadn't built a relationship with their community. So I have to go in one by one and make the friendships and the relationships, look people in the eye and uh, make that personal connection so that they can vote their values, which are all conservative. Um, the other thing about our coalition is that there, there's not going to be a liberal party in the next election. Justin Trudeau, of course, is not a liberal. He is a radical authoritarian. He's the opposite of liberal. He's very illiberal. And so I'm going to be going to a lot of uh, liberal voters and say, this is not the party of Cretchen, Manley, Martin. This is a radical authoritarian uh, diversion that you've never seen before and that you don't recognize. And let's vote for the, what was the common sense consensus of Canada uh, before he came along. The last, I mean, this year has ended on a, a very unpleasant note for members of the Jewish community who have yes. seen not just the attacks on Israel in October, but the continued scourge of, of anti-Semitism. And your party and the Liberals and the NDP were effectively in lockstep in those first few days in, in condemning the attacks. And 
we've seen that consensus fracture the longer this has gone on. We've seen the government equivocating on its support for Israel and its condemnation of Hamas. One rather symbolic but very real gesture that members of the Jewish community have always sought is a relocation of the Canadian embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Are you still committed to doing that? I, I Right now, I think the focus just needs to be on beating Hamas. Um, there's no question that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. It's where the Knesset is located. It's where their uh, Supreme Court is located. We have to de defeat Hamas to bring peace to the region. And that will be my singular focus uh, when it comes to the Israel-Palestinian issue right now. Um, so you won't commit to an embassy relocation? Right now, my focus is on let's stick beside the effort of beating Hamas in this conflict. Uh, and uh, we'll decide uh, in the future what we do uh, on on that issue of the, of the embassy. But we do recognize that Israel's capital is Jerusalem. Uh, and uh, that, you know, regardless of how that, that conflict is one day settled, and I hope it will be, Israel will be present in its capital, which is Jerusalem. And that doesn't mean that Palestinian, that Muslims and Christians mm -hmm. will not have equal access to their holy sites, but the, the reality is that that is the capital of, of Israel. Um, but on the broader issue you raised, uh, I think we've been very consistent. We've been clear with, with both sides, and we say the same thing in both rooms. Uh, you know, we believe that uh, Hamas has to be, has to surrender, mm -hmm. disarm, and turn over the, the hostages before uh, this can be resolved. And uh, Justin Trudeau, he believed in the same thing until he, sa he said he was against a ceasefire. And then there was a story that broke that he was losing donors mm -hmm. over that. So then what did he do? He flip-flopped and went to the other extreme where he said Hamas could effectively keep the hostages. Uh, so, and, and then he sent out his liberal MPs from Jewish, predominantly Jewish ridings and told them to say that he disagreed, they disagreed with him so that he could continue to say one thing to the Jewish community and a completely different thing to everyone else. And our approach is it's more principled, it's more difficult to take a, a consistent line no matter where you go, but I'm, I'm proud of the fact that we've had integrity on the issue. Some Jewish groups in Canada have uh, expressed their support for online hate speech regulations, which I'm sympathetic to because they, they understand anti-Semitism is a big threat. Now, I'm a big believer in free speech. You've always taken that position. What is your approach to, if there is a, a, a balancing that needs to be done here, of on one hand dealing with this very real phenomenon, on the other hand protecting free speech with a liberal government that uh, very much and has committed to regulating what it calls hate speech online? The problem they have is they can't differentiate between hate speech, uh, the liberals, I mean, the liberals cannot differentiate between hate speech and speech they hate. Um, and there's a big difference, mm -hmm. right? Um, we also have to figure out what, who, who would they put in charge? Who would be the hate speech czar? Remember, it wasn't long ago that a school board in, I think it was Mississauga, took Anne Frank out of the library because that was somehow hateful because she was, she wrote her, her, her uh, the, the, the book was written before I think 1980 mm -hmm. or something and everything before then is hateful. So, um, you know, the liberals funded an actual anti-Semite mm -hmm. in the name of fighting racism. So we have to be very careful about giving any state czar the ability to define what he or she thinks is hate because we might end up being very surprised with their definition and people who push for this kind of law might real might wake up one day and say 
holy smokes, now I'm the one. I was trying to stop genuine hate, but now I'm the one who's being censored. So that's the risk. There is, for me, the line is this. You can have any political opinion you want, but we recognize in law that there are crimes related to the utterances of words. Like if I, if someone goes out and says that, tells a, a thug on the streets that they should knock off Andrew Lawton, well, that is a, and, and uses words to bring that action into motion, he can be charged. Uh, Don't give them ideas. Utters, I, I won't give them any ideas. I mean, it might, might have happened already, but you've dodged all the bullets. <laughs> yes. As Churchill said, uh, there's nothing more thrilling than to be shot at with no effect. But, um, but, but the, uh, or if someone utters a threat, it's just, it's just a word. That is a crime. So likewise, if someone goes out and, and, and tells people to attack, violently attack a particular identifiable group, that is a crime. That is distinct from expressing a political viewpoint that is objectionable to some. And that's the line that we need to keep in order to protect our freedom and our security at the same time. You've mentioned a couple of times 2025 as, as being the point well, in which you'll become... I, I was going to ask, what sure, your, what's your prediction? Do you think it will be? Do you think that coalition will hold? Look, I think Jagmeet Singh uh, needs to qualify for his pension. <laughs> uh, and so he's holding on for that pension, right? Um, he, uh, he He's in it for the, for, for the pension and the perks. He's shown that. He sold his principles to keep Trudeau in power. He's helped Trudeau double housing costs, quadruple the carbon tax, unleash crime and chaos in our communities, and he seems to be uh, comfortable to keep doing that. So uh, until such time as Jagmeet Singh re re remembers who he actually works for, we're stuck with um, this uh, radical authoritarian uh, Trudeau government. It's the holiday season. I wanted to end on a, a bit of a lighter note here. What uh, Polyev Christmas traditions have you brought to Stornoway? Well, we, uh, we last one last one was a little bit uh, too chaotic for a lot of traditions. But we want to, we want to get back to the moose milk. My my wife has a beautiful moose milk uh, concoction, and it's the most delicious. It's better than Bailey's, and we made it at our home in Greeley and pub made a video of it. And uh, we're hoping to make a lot of those mixes uh, throughout the holiday season. And uh, it'll be this is the first Christmas where my little guy can actually understand Santa Claus and okay. Christmas trees and stuff. So. <laughs> Um, he's learning all about trees and Santa coming down the uh, the chimney and uh, the birth of Jesus and all the great uh, traditions that we pass on. So uh, we're we're looking forward to a relaxing Christmas, and I hope you have one too. Likewise, Pierre Polly, a Merry Christmas. Okay, Thank Merry you. Christmas to you. Thank you. That was Conservative Party of Canada leader Pierre Polyev for a year-end interview here on True North and The Andrew Lawton Show. We've got lots more content in the days ahead, so we will see you back here tomorrow, same time, same place, on The Andrew Lawton Show. Thank you, God bless, and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.